turn there, great. It's going to be up on the screen too. Um, but the title of our series is Jesus is Greater. Jesus is Greater. And really what we see in Hebrews is this unbelievable declaration of who Jesus is. And uh, I am particularly grateful for this passage this morning. So let's read it together, and then we will uh, we'll jump in. We're going to start this morning, really, honestly, the focus this morning of our attention is going to be verses 5 through chapter 2, verse 4, okay? And as, if you were here last week, Mike kicked off the series with verses 1 through 4, but it's really difficult to talk about 5 through chapter 2 without reading the whole thing together. So, sorry guys, I don't know if you put it up there, but I'm going to start with verse 1, and then when we get to 5, if that's all you got up there, that'll be on the screen. So Hebrews chapter 1, long ago at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Or the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds, and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment. Like a robe you will roll up. Like a garment they will be changed. But you are the same. And your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? And they are not all ministering spirits I'm sorry, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who, to our, who are to inherit salvation? Chapter 2, therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect, neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. 
while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 1 is making a case. I guess it's the lawyer in me that thinks of it this way, but he really is making a case for who Jesus is. See, the wonderful thing about this, and Mike mentioned it last week, is in the midst of a world where there is a lot of confusion, in the midst of a world where there is um, uh, a lot of different thoughts about what we're able to know about God, um, if we're even able to know anything about God, um, who God is, how do we achieve or receive salvation. Um, in a world that's, that's very confused or has so many different thoughts, is very pluralistic, particularly in our culture, about these things, what we see here in Hebrews is that God has revealed himself. God has spoken. Amen? I, I, I've had vocationally one of the more um, emotional weeks in my career this week. And just in kind of going through my day, maybe some of you have had difficult weeks or, or weeks that have proved to cause you to think about life, think about things. Um, I am particularly grateful today that God has revealed exactly who Jesus is. Amen? That I get to know. It's not a mystery. It's not unknowable. God has spoken. And he has spoken to us by his word. And his word we can count on and we can bank on. And with our lives we can rely on. Amen? And in this passage, he's very specific. He makes a case. He makes a case for who Jesus is. Now, really, the opening statement of this case that the writer of Hebrews is making is in verse 4. So take a look at it, and Mike preached on it last week. Having, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So here's what he's saying. Jesus is superior to angels, so don't be confused. Because he has inherited a name that is far more excellent than theirs. And as he jumps into verse 5 and following, he describes why. So here's his opening statement. Jesus is better than angels. There may have been, or I'm certain that there was some confusion in that day about who Jesus was. Who angels are. Okay, these angels are, are, are sent by God to do his work. And, and throughout the Old Testament, you would hear references to angels, sometimes called sons of God. And you would hear references to angels doing things, doing miraculous things, showing up. And what the writer of Hebrews is declaring here is that, listen, don't be confused about angels and who they are and what their role is in terms of who is superior or what their place is in the order of the universe. Jesus is superior to angels. His name is greater than theirs. Amen? So the writer of Hebrews is declaring to us who Jesus is in one of the most clear passages in Scripture about the divinity of Christ, that Jesus is God. 
And then he goes on to show it. So he's, he's resetting the order of things. How many of you guys have ever had to do that before? Uh, I do it in my house all the time. I have a teenager. She's awesome. I'm sorry. I don't mean to bring you up. <clears throat> and I have a seventh grader, and I have a third grader. And sometimes they will declare something to me, and I need to reset the order of things. Come on, have you ever been there before? Let me just explain to you how it works here and who you are in relationship to me and your mom, all right? And that's what, the, that's what the writer of Hebrews is doing here, resetting the order of things. If you're confused about this, let me tell you about this Jesus and who he is. Verse 5. Now, he goes on to quote about seven Old Testament passages here. It's really corroborating what he's already said about Jesus, who has made purifications for our sin, who has sat down at the right hand of the Father. Jesus, who's been there since the beginning, who has, who has been... Uh, creation was created through him, we see in verse 2 of Hebrews chapter 1. And so as he's declared who Jesus is, he's now corroborating his case by quoting some Old Testament passages. So let's walk through some of those together. In verse 5, we see a quote of Psalm chapter 2, verse 7, and 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 14. He says, you are my son. And the way Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says it is, did he ever say this about any angels? No. But he says it about Jesus. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Or again, in this second part is, is, is 2 Samuel. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And, and so what he's saying is the name that is superior to angels, that name in verse 4 that he's inherited that is superior to angels is son. Son of God. He is almost a, a picture here that they would have understood from Psalm chapter 2 and from 2 Samuel is this enthronement type ceremony where the king is, declare, is being declared. And, and, and so he's saying, your name is, is superior to any other name. You are my son. Now he's said angels have been referred to as sons of God, but no one, no angel has ever be, been declared to be the son of God. And that's who Jesus is. David declared himself um, in the Davidic covenant a son of God, but, but it was a picture, it was a type of, of, it was an example, a foreshadowing of this Jesus whose throne would never end, who would sit on the seat of David, who came from the line of David, but who is the Messiah, the son of God, the one who creation happened through. Jesus is God's son, the final king, the final Adam who sits on the throne of David and his kingdom will never end. Amen? That's who they recognize this to be as they quote Psalms and Samuel. Then he goes on. And, and what we see here is other moments in Scripture where Jesus is declared the Son of God, right? Luke 3.22, when he's being baptized, you hear God's voice from heaven, this is my Son. In whom, I'm in, in whom I am well pleased. Romans chapter 1 verse 4, David declares that, that Jesus is declared the Son of God in power. So that's who Jesus is. Jesus has always been the Son of God. And he's being declared and revealed in Hebrews as the Son of God in a particular enthronement type ceremony. Because not only has he always been the Son of God, and, and Folks, this is, 
We don't have time because we did a survey and they told me, preach this really long, complicated passage, but do it shorter. That's what I was told this week. So <clears throat> I'm going to try to move on, but there is so much here. Not only is he declared the Son of God because he's always been the Son of God, but he's declared in this enthronement ceremony as the Son of God because he is the Son of God who was incarnate and who made our sin, he, he paid for our sin. And he defeated and triumphed over sin and death and Satan and was raised from the dead and now seated at the right hand of the Father. He's always been the Son of God, but now he is the King, Son of God, who has defeated sin and death for all of us. Amen? That's what this passage declares. Isn't that good news? Okay. I'm going. He made purifications for our sin. He triumphed and defeated all of that. The other thing we see as we look further in this passage is that all, all let me read it, let all God's angels worship him in verse 6. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame and fire. But all God's angels are to worship him. This is a further... Uh, reference to an, an exaltation and enthronement of Jesus, that he is not like an angel, don't be confused. He is above an angel, and he is to be worshipped. There is some debate over whether this is in reference to the second coming. It may be, but the, the idea of when this happens isn't the issue. The, the thing that everybody agrees on in reference to this passage is that Jesus is the one who is to be worshipped, not just by us, but angels. Amen? Angels are inferior to the supremacy given to the Son. And these angels, at his dispatch, are ministers. Just like wind moves and fire roars, his angels go out and minister. And as we see at the end of this passage, minister to those who are to inherit salvation. Amen? I don't know a lot about angels, but I'm glad they're here. And they're here for us, Hebrews declares. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? I know I've had some moments in my life where I've said, maybe God's angels weren't a part of what just happened here. They're inferior and they're dispatched at his will. The worship of Jesus is a massive theological issue. Here's what we know. He is to be worshipped. Amen? Listen, that, I don't say that lightly. That separates us from every other faith, okay? Jehovah's Witnesses, he's just a good dude. Islam, he was a good prophet, kind, kind of like Muhammad. Um, there are other folk, you know, uh, Judaism, uh, he's kind of a rogue Jewish teacher. Um, Caesarism, back in the day, um, you were to worship Caesar, and, and, and Christians were killed and burned and, and, and executed for the worship of Jesus. Here's what we recognize. Here's what God has declared to us in his word so we get to know it. Jesus is God. He is worthy of worship. He's not just another guy. I love what C.S. Lewis says. If you really read what Jesus did and what Jesus said, he's one of three things. He is a liar, he is a lunatic, or he is Lord. And the word of God declares to us, he is Lord. Amen? Those are your only options. He's a good dude doesn't make sense in light of what he said and in light of what he did. 
If you really look at what he said, if you really look at what he did, you can only come to one conclusion. Either he's crazy or he's Lord. He's not just a good prophet. And Hebrews declares to us today, he's God. He's God. And he is to be worshipped. We worship him. Amen? Verses 7 through 9, take a look at them. I'm moving pretty good. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and ministers flame and fire. But of the Son of God, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you in all the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. So here we see Psalm 104, 4, and Psalm 45, 6 through 7, quoted in the book of Hebrews. So the writer of Hebrews references these Old Testament passages to corroborate and to declare the case that he's making. That God, that Jesus, not only is in verse 2, did God create through Jesus, he declares Jesus was there and was the creator. Amen? So in John chapter 1, he was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Jesus was there in the beginning. He is the Word of God incarnate. He is the Creator in Hebrews. Creation happened through him. Jesus was the Creator of the universe. This, this folks, is where theology is birthed from. This is where we get the idea of Trinity. This is one of those passages where we begin to understand or get a glimpse of the Godhead, and we see that Jesus is God. Jesus, the person of Jesus, as one of the parts of the Trinity, was creator God, was there from the beginning, and creation happened through him as the universe was created. He declares Jesus is the creator of the universe. Amen? It's powerful. Psalm 104, if you want to look back, or Psalm 45, 6 through 7. I'm going to keep reading. And you, O Lord, oh, I'm sorry, jump up to verse 11. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you are the same, and your eye, and your years will have no end. Um, here we see, I just want to quote in reference to verses 10 and into verse 11 and 12. F.F. Uh, F. Bruce says this, He belonged to a dynasty to which God had made special promises bound up with the accomplishment of his purpose in the world. Besides what was only partially true of any of the historic rulers of David's line, or ever David himself, all the promises and ideals associated with that dynasty would be embodied, and now at length that Messiah has appeared. Here's what F.F. F. Bruce is saying. This is, these psalmic references to David are a picture and a foreshadowing of Jesus. All of it is accomplished in Jesus. He is the fulfillment of that prophecy. So the writer of Hebrews is reaching back into the Old Testament in these references that they would have understood. He's saying, this is Jesus. This that you've been reading that is to come, this Messiah whose throne will endure forever in the line of David. This Messiah who um, was there from the beginning, who the earth in its, the earth is really is perishing. The earth is young as compared to who Jesus is. He has always been, and when the earth fades away, he will always be. 
the earth in its, in its infancy or the earth in its perishableness is nothing in compared to Jesus, whose throne will, will reign forever. It's all accomplished in Christ. That's what's being declared in this passage. Jesus is God. Psalm 102, 25 through 27 is quoted there. He's the creator. He's God. He's to be worshipped. I want to recap for a minute. Because we're going to jump very quickly into chapter 2 and then I'm going to end. There has been no command given in Hebrews chapter 1. There's only been a celebration and a declaration of who Jesus is as he's been revealed to us in Scripture. Jesus is the Son of God, verse 5. Jesus, not angels, are to be worshipped, verse 6. Jesus is not an angel, but he is God, verse 8. Jesus is the creator of the universe, verses 10 through 12. Jesus is seated and enthroned, and angels do his bidding to subdue his enemies as a footstool. Amen? Through verse 15. This is what's been declared about Jesus. God's spoken. Colossians 2.9 says this, All treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Jesus. All of that case that the writer of Hebrews is making about who Jesus is leads us to the first command in the book of Hebrews. And we read Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Let me summarize it for you. In light of who Jesus is, listen. In light of who Jesus is, pay close attention to what you have heard from him. Amen? Angels have said things, and we've listened to them. How much more should we pay attention and listen to what Jesus says to us? Amen? This is a challenge that cuts straight to my heart. What are you listening to today? Who are you paying close attention to. The warning and the challenge in Hebrews chapter 2 is please do not drift away. Pay close attention. I have just made, I as in the writer of Hebrews, has just made a case and declared and celebrated that Jesus is God. He's not just an angel. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a historic dude. Jesus is the God of the universe, the creator of the universe, the one who's to be worshipped, the one who is, who is made away and, and dealt with our sin. Jesus, the Son of God, whose name is above every name, is declaring things to you, and you... Jeremy Callie, all of us, we need to pay close attention lest we would drift away. Amen? What are we listening to? Here's, here's what I came up with as I thought about this for me, and I want to challenge you with this. What do you make provision for in your life to listen to? What do you intentionally do to make sure you have an opportunity to hear from something? Do you understand what I'm saying? This warning in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, this challenge, this command, really calls us to pay attention, to be intentional. 
I decided, um, I decide this about once every couple of months, that I was going to get in shape. And so I put together a run list on my iTunes. Anybody ever done this? Um, and of course, like if I'm going to run, it's got to be Rocky IV play, playlist, right? Anybody else? with? Thank you. <laughs> you got to hit the 1980s Rocky IV soundtrack. There is no better thing to run to. <clears throat> so I threw on some Rocky IV couple of country songs, you know, that make me inspired. <laughs> and 90s hip-hop, all right? <laughs> Little 90s hip-hop. <clears throat> but I, it took me time, right? It, it took time. I, I sat there. I, I searched for music on my Apple Music. I, I put together this particular playlist. And now, as with any other playlist, I have killed all those songs, right? I can't stand to listen to them. As soon as you make something on your playlist, you hate it because you listen to it over and over and over again, although I can never hate 90s hip-hop. But there was some intentionality to that. What do we pay attention to? What are we intentionally listening to? Are we listening intentionally to um, self-help books, to Oprah, to you know, what may be on TV from day to, you know, from, from day, to day? Are we listening to some, the, the newest book in the, in the Christian living section of Sacred Melody? Or are we taking time, making provision for, making room for in our lives to intentionally listen to what Jesus is saying to us about who we are, who he is, how we relate to him, how we're to live, what our perspective is supposed to be. Folks, he's spoken and it's all right here. We need to stop going to Oprah. It's right here. Amen? What are we listening to? I don't want to... Listen to this. Verse 3. Uh, let me jump to verse 2. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Neglect such a great salvation in light of who Jesus is, in light of what he's done. The writer of Hebrews is saying, pay close attention. Listen. Our salvation is so much more than a salute on a Sunday morning. Our salvation is so much more than I accomplished the church box today. Check that off, and then I'm going to go back to the rest of my life throughout the week, and then I'll show up to church, and I'll give Jesus a little salute on Sunday morning, and then I'll go back to what I'm listening to and doing Monday through Saturday. He's saying, no, no, no. In light of who Jesus is, pay attention. Be intentional. Get into what he is declaring and saying to you on a regular on, on a day-to-day -day basis. Live according to the word that's declared to you from Jesus, God, the creator of the universe, the one who has made a way and dealt with our sin. Not just a Sunday salute, not just a, an intellectual assent to the fact that I believe in Jesus. I've kind of grown up in that. That's my deal. I'm a Christian culturally. It's so much more than that, and we're so prone to drift into that 
and to drift away as suburban culture and the realities of the things that are valued by our culture seep into our lives and we begin to care more about what everybody's saying and keeping up with the Joneses and how many sports are my kids in and are we paying for club this year and all the other things that begin to bury themselves into our lives. And and what Hebrews is saying in in, in chapter 2 is, you will drift away and neglect such a great salvation if you don't listen and intentionally pay attention to who Jesus is and what he's saying to us. Amen? I am uh, challenged by this. I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching to anybody else here and I have a couple reactions to what God's saying in his word today. And I don't know what yours may be. My first reaction is, I'm glad he is God. And he is in control. And he's sovereign. Amen? I am so grateful that he loves us. And that he triumphed over sin and death for my behalf. Because I readily recognized this morning that I could not. He did it for me. And I'm also quickened and challenged in my own life to pay more attention to what he's saying to me as opposed to all the other garbage I'm listening to day to day. Lest I neglect such a great salvation. Amen? We're going to go right into communion this morning. And then, just so you know, we're going to worship together for two more songs. To me, this is the type of passage and declaration of who Jesus is that should prompt in us a worshipful response. Does everybody, everybody see that here this morning? Um, Gordon Fee, a professor up at Regent College, great theologian, said that good theology leads to doxology. And that's, that's just to say that an understanding of the Word of God and who He is should lead us to worship. It should lead us to a heart response. I think part of us asking the question of what are we listening to is to ask ourselves, where do our affections lie? Does God get my affections? Does the, the, the heart and the affections of my life, are they, are they pointed towards Him and who He is and what He's done for me? I know for many of us, for me many times, Sunday morning, the corporate gathering, which is a big part of that in our lives, of us saying, what are we listening to? What are we intentionally doing with our lives? This is an opportunity for us to repent and to say, God, turn my affections towards you. I've spent the week thinking about a lot of other stuff, and you have not been able to make your way into the busyness of my life. And today, I'm going to set it aside, and I'm going to put my affections towards you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you that I don't have to walk around confused and tossed around by waves like Psalm 1, blown around by the winds of circumstances like chaff that just gets blown everywhere. But my life is stable and secured in the God of the universe who created everything and who saved me. Amen? 
And in your word, my branches get to go deep into the word, the, the word that you've declared to me like living water. Despite what's happening on the outside and the winds, the rain, the snow, circumstances, subjective things that throw us all over the place, I can reach outside of that subjective thing and I can hold on to the solid fact that you are God, you've died for me and you've declared your love and your death and your resurrection dealing with my sin and you've sat down at the right hand of the Father. Even if I don't know, you know because you're sovereign and you're God and I trust you. Amen? He deserves to be worshipped because of who he is. Let's direct our affections towards him. The first thing we're going to do to that end this morning is we're going to come to the table together. And this is an opportunity. We do it every week because Jesus said, do it to remember. We are prone to forget, right? Look, the people of Israel saw tunnels of fire and smoke and they still forgot, right? We are prone to forget. Jesus, the Last Supper, with his disciples, declared to them that his body